Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. I'm particularly pleased to welcome today's guest on the Sandro Forte podcast, Kay Julia. Let me explain why. Charities play a huge role in our society, offering help, support and guidance, as we know, to people who otherwise may go unheard or misunderstood. Kay Julia is responsible for helping make the lives of those suffering with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome more manageable and making sufferers feel less alone through her fantastic work as Managing Director for Ehlers-Danlos Support UK. This genetic condition is an invisible disability, which may in part be why many of us haven't heard of it before. It affects the body's connective tissue that lies between each of our organs and is a very debilitating condition. I met this lovely lady, Kay Julia, uh, what? Kay? A couple, about two, three months ago. Yeah, towards maybe the longer. end. Of, yeah, yeah. Time flies, right? Yeah, but towards the end. We, of we were, I had the privilege of meeting you through a, through a mutual friend, Rob Smith, and uh, I was really, really fascinated at the work you do. So let's dive in, if we may, and mm-hmm. start with what is EDS? Because most people won't have heard of it. No, they won't. So um, the Ehlers Danlos syndromes, and I'm using plural because there are, there are actually 14 different types, which makes it really complicated to explain. Um, they are, as you've said, a group of genetic conditions um, and they, they all um, affect the body's ability to make collagen properly and collagen is part of our connective tissue um, which really holds the whole body together so connective tissue is in your skin it's in your joints it holds your organs in place so when it goes wrong it, really the symptoms are widespread and affect almost every part of your body really so there are 14 different types um, quite distinct um, Fortunately, most of them you can detect with a genetic test, but the most common type, there is no test, which makes things really complex for the people that have that type. And, and you say, or I've introduced it as invisible, but there must be some symptoms. There must be things that you can see and feel uh, that would lead you to the suspicion that it was something probably quite seriously wrong. Yes. So the, one of the things I should point out is most of the types are very rare, which, you know, that's a challenge in itself for rare conditions because doctors just don't come across them very often, as you would expect. So they're not thinking along those lines and it's quite difficult sometimes to, um, you know, get believed really that you might have a rare condition. Um, but you're right, there are there are symptoms and signs some of them are quite obvious when you know what they are Um, unfortunately for the most common type the symptoms are quite generic and they cross over with other conditions. So, for example um, people with the most common type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome have 
um, extremely flexible joints, so known as hypermobility. So their joints stretch beyond their normal range. In itself, that's not a problem. Quite a lot of people have that. But um, it can cause a problem when it's part of something like Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And it comes with extreme pain, fatigue, joints that really dislocate doing everyday things. So, you know, we regularly obviously talk to people with these conditions. And people report about people report their hip, for example, dislocating when they turn over in bed. Or, you know, your shoulder dislocating when you're drying your hair with a hairdryer. Um, so really, everyday things can cause a huge problem. So there are those very specific symptoms. Um, the skin in people with Ehlers-Danlos syndromes can also be very distinctive. It's quite fragile. Um, and when it damages, it heals in a in a strange way that causes quite dis distinct scarring. But again, it relies on doctors knowing that and knowing what to look for. So, you know, one of the challenges we have is that on average at the moment, it's taking 10 years for somebody with an Ehlers-Danlos syndrome to be diagnosed. And that is because, you know, if you go to your doctor with achy joints, you know, the dislocations may not always come up. Um, oh, I've got funny skin, I've got some weird scarring, I'm really tired. You know, they are quite generic symptoms. So you are really relying on the doctor you're seeing, making those links and thinking, oh, I wonder if this is a connective tissue disorder. Yeah. And, and since it's a very rare condition, uh, well, first of all, let me ask you, um, how did you get involved in the charity? I mean, do you have personal experience of anyone suffering with EDS or was it just something you were that you were fascinated by or attracted to for a particular reason? How did it all start? Um, so I think as these, things, no, as these things sometimes do, no, I had no personal connection. Actually, I had... I had never heard of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, like most people, until I saw the job advertised. So my job was advertised. I was already working for a charity, but in a very different role. And um, I'd been looking to reduce my hours slightly. Um, I decided to do a new qualification. And at the same time, my dad was seriously ill and I wanted to help look after him. So I'd started looking for a part-time job, thinking, you know, OK, I'll, you know, very unlikely to probably find something that I want. And then because the charity was smaller at the time, um, the job for managing director was advertised but as a part-time position because that was the level of job that could be afforded at the time. So I applied for the job, um, as I said, not knowing anything about the condition. But what was attractive to me was it was a new role for the organisation. So there was scope to develop it. Um, the organisation to me was clearly at a crossroads and was looking to develop itself. Um, and all that was really attractive to me. I love learning new things. So having to learn about a whole new condition was, was very exciting to me. And just joining an organisation that really wanted to evolve was also felt like a great opportunity. And who are you working with, Kay? I mean, is it is it young, old? I mean, does it? Oh, it's a huge. But it's literally it's so it's so diverse in terms of age, um, and that's partly what I love about it. So, being a genetic condition, it, it runs in families. So, you know, it's not always the case, but often, um, you know, you'll have a parent, you probably have a grandparent, and kids that are affected as well, um, because of the time it takes to diagnose people come to us late in life and say look I've just been diagnosed you know what do I do 
it can be really daunting and frustrating because quite often a diagnosis is given with then no further information and people are just left to figure it out for themselves what to do next and what it means for them so yeah that's partly what I really like is the diversity of the people we interact with and the type of challenges that we're presented with to solve and at its worst I mean you've described some of the symptoms and some of the uh, the physical and I guess emotional yeah. uh, challenges that people have to live with at, it, at its worst what you know what do you what do you see in people um it, it's shocking at its worst it's hugely disabling so we come across people who are actually bedbound housebound bedbound and their mental health has been affected not just because of their physical symptoms not being dealt with but also because they've been they faced um been disbelieved along the way to being diagnosed. So it's very common for people with an Ehlers-Danlos syndrome to be at some point labelled with having a mental health problem because if they haven't got to the stage where they see an expert who knows what they're looking at, um, the symptoms, as I said, can be can be quite generic. Um, some of them are very, you know, you can't test. For the most common type, there is no test. So people are just repeatedly going back to their doctor saying the same things. There's nothing to measure. In the end, you're just labelled as having anxiety, depression, you know, worse, really, personality disorders. So once people come to us, they are often in quite a desperate state. Gosh, it's I, I, again, I, before we met, I didn't, didn't know about this. And, and I guess it leaves you and I... Uh, as you know, Kay, have talked about helping you to raise the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason you're a guest today is not to uh, to, to send the metaphorical begging bowl out to, to the listeners, but to try and make people aware of this. What I'm very interested to know is, and I guess one of the challenges you may well come up against, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, is as, as a very rare condition that a lot of people don't know about, it doesn't therefore affect that many people, does that present its own unique challenges in terms of raising money and awareness? Yes, yes, it definitely does. So historically, we've our income has mainly come from people affected by the condition, because you know they are passionate about getting changes made. Um, you know, obviously their own experiences often are, are horrific, and they don't want that to be the same for other people. But that is a small group of people. And also, um, people who are badly affected by the condition really do struggle to work. Um, you know, often people have to change their their life plan because of their condition. So, you know, increasingly we found ourselves almost relying on income from people who are badly affected by a condition and, you know, can only give so much. And there's so much to do for this this, this group of people that we you know we we realize that we we need to sort of let's say fish elsewhere for the for the money but also you know it's a really complex group of conditions so it's quite difficult to explain to people you know even what it is um you know most people they don't want to spend 10 minutes you know with a scientific lesson about what something is they just want to know you know in quite a snappy sentence and mm. and that's quite hard to achieve so what is it you do then for people, Kay? So you you, you, you get your funding, mm-hmm. people come to you in a fairly desperate state, yep. physical, emotional issues. Um, what is the process of support that you give them? Is, is it about physical rehabilitation or, or support? Is it about counselling? Is it a combination? Is it lifestyle change? Is it a combination of all those things? So you take, a, take somebody that comes yep. to you and says, 
please help what, what what typically are you doing for them so at the moment um because we are still quite small we're we're providing information advice and support the support is through a network of nationwide like truly uk-wide support groups both physical and virtual um, and we run a helpline and we rely heavily on our website to provide good quality information to people um we are working with the NHS to try to improve services. So that looks, you know, that looks different depending on the area of the country. That's that's work that we're really just getting into at the moment. Um, and we, we do a lot of work around medical education. So we work, we've got a great medical advisory panel and we work with them, you know, for example, to help them go out and train other doctors as well. So that's where, we're, that's where we are at the minute. It, most of our work is around support and medical education, but there's, there's so much to be done that there's scope to expand that, you know, hopefully hmm. as we grow. One of the reasons I would, particularly wanted you to be a guest Kay was because um, there are parallels with you know life and business in terms of what you do and specifically what I refer to there and I, you mentioned it earlier is about being believed and often support just comes in the form correct me if I'm wrong of you know I understand you I believe you it's okay there are other people in this situation and we can as I said there are parallels with mm. lots of things that we do in life and business yeah. where you need a degree of empathy you need to feel that you've got that support network and it sounds to me as if a lot of what you do is around letting people know that it's okay and that you know they're not alone um, is that you know? Is that would that be fair? Would that yes. be a fair assessment? Yes, it, it really is. You know, and and what we find is, you know, we we pick up the phone to someone, and you can tell that they've geared themselves up to yet again go through all their symptoms and explain the problems. And as soon as we say, oh yes, we know about that. Yeah, we heard. Yes, that's very common. You can sense the relief that they're not going to be challenged. You know, on oh, is that really the case? Have you really got that? Are you sure it's not this, for example? So just that relief of having people on the phone who understand and, as you say, believe them and are not judging them is is a great first step to giving support. And have you got have you got centres around the UK? Is there one central point of contact that people come to for support and advice? Uh, so we have a small office in Boreham Wood in Hertfordshire, but then we have an amazing network of volunteers who are all around the country. So we've got around 70 volunteers. People sort of come and go, but we've got about 70 volunteers throughout the UK. Um, the 99% of them have the condition themselves or they're a parent of somebody with the condition. Right. So they've been through you know, all the experiences. Um, they're they're the people that are out there running our support groups, um, so yeah, we you know we we run from Hertfordshire, but it's very much a nationwide network. Mm. And you know what what are your plans then for the charity moving forward? Obviously, to grow it, expand it, increase awareness, yeah, uh, improve funding. Obviously. Yes. Yeah. Next plan for the next five years. So um, we our services are like most charities. You know the, the demand increases year on year. So you're almost a victim of your own success because as you raise awareness, more people do eventually get diagnosed. Um, so we have to be able to support those people as they're being diagnosed. And also, these conditions largely rely on self-management. Um, there isn't a cure for any of the types of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So people do have to learn how to manage their symptoms. And that is everything from um, having physiotherapy from people who know about the condition, um, 
working hard at home on your own with your exercises, keeping generally strong and healthy. Um, there are things like you know sleep problems, so you know, that's very common in society. So it's being able to provide all that type of advice and information and make sure it's accurate and it's evidence-based. Um, there's a real shortage of medical experts or even just people who know about the condition. So we are working hard to try to get funding together to improve training. So, for example, we want to work more closely with physiotherapists to train them in how to deal with people with hypermobility um, and, you know, look at how we can support the NHS maybe to have some more centres around the country who know what they're doing with these conditions. So, yeah, lot, lots to do. And how many people does this affect, just to put this into perspective? Um, so it's that, it, you, that you know of, yeah, obviously. exactly. So you know the figures are quite outdated, as with all rare conditions. There isn't much research done in them, um, but the, the the figures at the moment we're thinking uh, there are at least thirteen, so one three thousand people in the UK wow, with an Ehlers Danlos syndrome, and, and it's you know it's underdiagnosed, it's misdiagnosed. So yeah. there are probably quite a few more. So it's not an insignificant number. That is a very big number, particularly mm. if you bear in mind that given the invisible nature of the yeah. condition. I mean, you, that, there's going to be a multiple of that number, I imagine. Yeah. So that is a big percentage. Um, forgive me for asking you this question. Going back to when you saw the job advertised, I bet you didn't do it for the money. So <laughs> <laughs> nobody ever works for a charity ever does do it for the money. So what have you... Well, let me ask you three a three-part question. First one is, what personal benefits do you get from working with such a commendable charity? Uh, and... What have you learned about other people and yourself along the way? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a big question. We'll, <laughs> we'll big divide question. it up. Okay. So, the, so okay. My what I get from working for the charity. Um, so for me, I I feel really lucky that I am able to do something that I love professionally. Um, and also having freedom and flexibility to have a fulfilling and. and um, a fulfilling and varied life outside of work. So that's something over my career that's become more and more important to me. And my job at Airless Dunlop Support UK ticks all those boxes and gives me that. Um, and it's it's always been important to me that my job is meaningful and me, you know that's a it's quite a generic term again. And but I mean meaningful to me. Um, and I, I feel I've been able to do that throughout my career. So you know it's my, I do feel that my job is meaningful and, and that's what's important to me as well. And what about uh, lessons that you've learned? You know, obviously, you people come to you in various different states, um, both emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. What do you learn about human nature? What do you learn about the people that you work with and supporting them? Um, Resilience? Yeah, I was going to say most... I think most people are hugely resilient they may not know it um some of the people we interact with have just been through you know the most horrific time and they're you know some of them are still holding down jobs they're looking after their kids they're supporting their kids who probably have this condition as well and although they are in a desperate state when you actually talk to them and break down what they're doing every day it's an incredible amount so I think people people don't realize themselves how resilient they are and and the types of you know things that they can get through even when it's hard so that's that's one thing I think and and also you know that's often you need that pointing out to you um I think most people don't don't know how good they really are and how well they're doing so that that's one thing um 
Crikey, let me think of others. Can you ask me the question again? So that last bit. Yeah, what, what have you learned about people, about in terms <laughs> about of, people. you know, human nature and characteristics that make people who they are? You know, you, you come across a diverse range of mm. people, young, old, uh, middle-aged. They all have their own unique set of problems. I'm just interested to know what you learn about people because, you you know, you're up close and personal yeah. with these individuals and they are they're most vulnerable, they're at the most exposed. I guess you get to see their inner workings yeah. probably more than the rest of us do yeah, because true. they are so um, they are so desperate yeah. so I'm just interested to know what you found out about human nature about yeah, individuals okay. given some of the challenges they have again I'm kind of linking it to the, the problems the challenges the obstacles that we all face in yep. life from one time or another um, and and the lessons that we we can learn to help us overcome those challenges okay. so I think the other thing another thing would be that how sort of giving people are so you know not just our volunteers who you know as I said are amazing and they spend their time you know supporting and looking after really other people and being on the end of the phone or being on the end of you know a device um and also the people that come to us re really do want to, you know, they want to help the charity as much as they can. If they've been helped, they want to give something back. So I think, again, most people I find are, are very giving and want to help others. They want to share their experiences to either support somebody or to, you know, stop somebody else going through the experience they've had. What would you say to somebody who, maybe not EDS, but probably who's in a place at the moment where thinks something's wrong, I'm not sure, you know, am I am I being unreasonable, am I being a hypochondriac, but I just feel, I don't feel right. Or, or somebody who knows they've got a particular problem but are just a bit too afraid to reach out for help and support. What would you say as a message to those people that clearly need some help mm -hmm. or support? either physically or emotionally? I would say definitely, you know, reach out, be brave. Um, you know, everybody's entitled to be healthy and happy. And um, I think, you know, it's important that we support people to be that. So, you know, if you're... If you're dismissed at the first hurdle, you know, don't don't um, let that put you off. You know, tr try to look around. You know, if you've got if you've had a medical appointment that hasn't gone very well, try to see somebody else or get in touch with an organisation like ours and, and get advice and support on what to do next. But, yeah, I think be brave and just just try to push forward. Now, this wonderful lady sitting opposite me today uh, who heads up, a, you know, a very, very worthwhile charity doing some amazing things for people. I need to know a little bit more about you, you know, your background, because, you know, otherwise you're just this great person leading a, leading a charity. But what about Kay Julia, the person? Where, where, did, where did life start for you? Uh, I, I kind of know from, from your lovely little accent. But um, <laughs> apart from that, you know, how did you grow up? Background, you know? Uh, okay. What happened before EDS? Um, oh, lots happened before EDS because I'm middle-aged, so lots of things have happened. Surely not. <laughs> um, so I grew up in uh, Grimsby in Lincolnshire. Um, I, from an early age, was interested in medicine and, you know, toyed with the idea in my teenage years of being a doctor and then decided I would have to work far too hard to do that. So we found another path. Um so I, I decided to do medical research, which I eventually got to do. So started my studies, um, went to university in Yorkshire and Lancashire. So my accent's very mixed now, but it's <laughs> still got the, the northern bits from moving around, um, moving around up there. So, yeah, I did a PhD um, in Manchester and started out in medical research. Did that for a while, um, realised it probably wasn't for me long term. 
And then I moved into the pharmaceutical industry where I spent a really happy 12 years, um, travelled the world and picked up a bit of a bug for travel, um, which I like to do in my spare time. Um, and then, yeah, after 12 years, I decided that I still wanted to use my scientific background and my interest in patients, I suppose, and helping patients. And the, you know, I, I discovered really the charity sector and there are lots of medical or health charities. Um, so it was sort of a natural, I felt it was a natural progression for me to move into health charities. Why should people do charity work? Um, in your opinion? In my opinion, mm. uh, it's, you know, it is rewarding because I think you can see, certainly if you're the front at the front line like as we are, um, you can see very immediately the impact that you're having. And, and that's what I love about what we do. You know, you I, I can speak to somebody on the phone and they, they will directly say, you know, you're helping me so much. Your organisation has done this. This is the impact that you've had. And that's, I find that immediate feedback, re you know, really gratifying. And I think as well, the sector, it, the sector is huge and very diverse in the UK. So there are many of the same jobs in the charity sector, certainly in medium and large charities, as there are in the public and private sectors. So if you're a, you know, a skilled marketeer or a, a skilled financier, that you know, if you're at the point in life where maybe you're looking for a change, your skills and experience will be massively valued in the sector. And, you know, and it's not a case of, oh, I'll just go off and volunteer. You know, you can actually get a, a meaningful job in the sector. So, you know, it's, for me, it's a great place to work. And... Um are there any are there any stories, um, success stories? I mean, I'm sure everyone is a success story because given the state people come to you in, and and the the position they find themselves in when they metaphorically leave that process, are, are there any particular stories you are really proud of? Things that you can remember where you've taken somebody on a journey from perhaps desperation to um, a, a much better place in life. Again, parallels with some of the mm. other things we've been talking about already. Any any little stories that um, you've got? I mean, we do hear. You know, and we yeah, we do hear quite regularly. Fortunately, you know, people do come back to us and, and let us know how, how they've got on. Not not as many as we would like, actually, you know, because quite often, you, you know, you help people and you never really hear from them again. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it, it's the younger people that stick in my mind. So, um, you know, we had some feedback last year from um, a, an 18-year-old who had literally had been bedbound and, you know, felt like she'd lost all her friends because she could never go out and do the things that they were doing. She couldn't cope with college and had wanted to go to university. Um, eventually, with a bit of a convoluted route, got to one of our support groups, which is run by one of our volunteers who, who was reasonably young herself and had been through a similar experience. And, you know, to cut a long story short, that young person made some new friends and eventually actually got the help and developed the confidence to go back to her studies and, you know, eventually finished university and has, has started living her life again and doing social things. And, you know, that that is great to hear. And I think it's... It's the young people that you feel we've actually stopped them going down a path that they easily could have done, gone down of disability and isolation. Mm. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're the ones that really stick in my mind. And Kay, you mentioned earlier about travel being yes. a particular love, passion of yours. Uh, where have you been that stands out in your mind? Do you have a particular favourite place, the go-to place or one that particularly stands out? Oh, see, that is the timing of that is perfect. So I've just come back from Chile. 
Oh, um, have you? Yeah, which, been there? which was absolutely amazing. Was it? Yeah, so we were there um, over sort of New Year and, and um, first bit of January. So, yeah, and that was my first visit to South America. So now I've got a bit of a, um, a desire to see more of South America. Um, I also, I've been to Africa twice and I absolutely, I've just got something about Africa that, you know, just, I don't know, does something to me, so mm. I'd like to go back. Um, I usually have a rule of not going back to the same place because there's so many places on the list and, you know, so little time. And um, But, you know, I also just love Mallorca for a, a quick, you know, bit of sun and relaxation. I'm just thinking of, uh, not of Mallorca, <laughs> I'm thinking about getting away for a bit of sun myself at the moment. I don't think I've seen the sun for about what feels like about six months oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm desperately trying to think of where I can go for the first week of March um, so we'll compare notes yeah. when we've finished Sounds having good. a chat um, aspirationally what do you want to do either with the charity or for yourself uh, you talk of you being middle aged I don't believe that for a second so <laughs> plenty of time on your side what, you know, kind of what's next where do you see yourself going both from a charity perspective EDS um, or, or in fact anything else in your in your life, you must have yep. a plan. Um, I do have a plan. Mm, yeah, I'm quite a, I'm quite a planner actually. Okay. Yeah, so I, I do have a vague plan. You can't travel a lot and not be a planner. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I uh, fortunately I still absolutely love what I do. So I've been at the charity for four years, and you know I I I'm very happy there. And I, to me, there's still so much to do, um, and I I want to see the charity being successful in terms of being able to help as many people as as it can and to really make a significant difference you know as I said there's lots of gaps that need filling and you know we are passionate about making that happen so you know that is that's going to take more than certainly more than a five-year plan I think Mm. so um, that's a key part of it to me you know I still love the job Um, it's important to me to work I can't imagine really not working you know I've got the perfect balance at the moment so there's no reason why I wouldn't carry on working um, yeah, travel Travel is very important to me. So as long as I can still do that alongside work, then, um, you know, I'm fine with that. OK, how do we how do we galvanise more people to get involved, you know, whether it's from a volunteering perspective mm-hmm. or, more importantly, to help fund some of the work that you and other charities do? Because there does seem to be, whether it's a lack of information or a general reluctance or ignorance, whatever the reason might be, there isn't enough money flowing into um, into charities. I think that's fair to say. Some amazing things that are being done. You know, we've all heard of Comet Relief and some of the things that are a bit more visible. Yeah. But to some of the smaller charities that do just as amazing work as some of the bigger ones, what would what you think? Because I'm, I'm sure you have many a, a many a marketing meeting. Uh, and all the strategic planning that you do, what can we, as members of the general public, what can we do to better understand the work that charities do and what can we do to help the work that you and other charities are doing, apart from the obvious funding? Yeah. So I think, I mean, to me, even small amounts of money do help a lot. So I think, you know, some people may think, oh, well, you know, I can only give you know 10 pounds or whatever you know really everything does help and I think my message would be if you've got a little bit more money and you really would like to help a specific cause then you know speak to that charity most well-run charities are very receptive to talking in detail about what they do how they use their money 
it's important to me that we're a very transparent charity. So if somebody asks me what we spend our money on, what we need money for, I am very happy to personally sit down with somebody and explain that. And I think that's really important. You know, mm. people don't want to think that, oh, you know, I'm just giving this money and I've no idea where it goes. You know, unfortunately, the reality is like every business, we've got core costs, we've got staffing costs. Most of the support we provide is through people. So, you know, we do have things like rent and, you know, people to pay. Um, and that is an important part of, of what we do. But there are also projects. So if you've got a specific um, interest or, you know, you might be interested in helping young people, speak to us. And, and, you know, there may well be a project that we have in mind or that we're looking to fund that you can, you know, help to specifically support. So um, and, and helping to raise awareness, you know, as, as you said, of the smaller charities, I think, mm. is, is also really valuable. So how do we find out more about Ellis Danlos and... and um everything that you're doing website social media presence yep, all of those so our website airless dot danlosorg spell that for us so e-h-l-e-r-s hyphen d-a-n-l-o-s dot org that's a great place to start okay. we're also on facebook twitter instagram um so any any of those are a great place to start you know We've got an old-fashioned telephone number, so you can call us really? anytime and speak to a, a real person. Um, so yes, please. You know, we're, we're always very happy to talk about what we do and what's needed. And there will be lots of people listening to this podcast who I'm sure will be reaching out. So yeah, pick up the phone, the good old-fashioned phone, exactly. and connect on social media and find out a little bit more or a lot more about what Kay and all her colleagues are doing at EDS. Um, a very, very worthwhile cause. I, I spent an hour with you uh, not not so many months ago, learning stuff that I'd never knew about and um, it's clear that there is a lot of help required for a big number of people mm. I think we've established so I think my final question really Kay and I really do appreciate you so openly sharing the work you do which is really really amazing kudos to you and all your colleagues and Thank all you. the people that are uh, giving so much back mm -hmm. for everything that you've done to help them Given all of your life's experiences, travelling all around the world, and hopefully, like me, you don't collect uh, fridge magnets wherever you go, because uh, um, I'm not very popular at home with 82 fridge magnets no, all over imagine. the place. But given all of your experiences in life and in business and charity work and pharmaceuticals, all those other things you've done, if we had a young Kay Julia come to mum and say, right, mum, I need a bit of advice now. I'm thinking about starting my own business, going to charity work, uh, trying to get through university, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever the particular challenge or aspiration was, this K. Julia Junior says to K. Julia Senior, not emphasising the word senior, uh, give me one little bit of advice that would help me to get to wherever it is I want to get to in life. What would that one piece of advice from mum be? It would be, I'm going to do two little bits of advice. What The first one would be, like? believe in yourself. That That's just so key to me. Believe in yourself and just relax a bit. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I, I have been known to be a perfectionist at bits in bits of my life and career. And I think sometimes that can just put um, an undue amount of pressure and can actually distract you from, from achieving some things. You've helped me already because I'm a perfectionist too. <laughs> Just relax a bit. I love it. That's the, that's the first time we've ever heard that as a piece of advice from somebody. Normally you can kind of link them all up and if you listen to all the podcasts back to back, it's the same messages running through. Okay. That's the first time I've ever heard that one. So that is unique to this podcast today. So thank you very much. Um, Kay Julia, uh, Managing Director of EDS, 
what can I say? It's been really, it's been eye-opening. We started a conversation a few months ago. We've kind of gone for, you know, we've com- completed the, the loop today. I've personally learned a lot, and I'm sure all those listening have too. So I would actively encourage uh, those who have a fascination with supporting people to getting all the benefits that you do personally to understanding a condition and doing something meaningful to help people suffering with a really, really debilitating illness, disease. Um, thank you very, very much for, for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Thank you. Wasn't Kate Julia amazing? Um, it's very difficult and very humbling and heartening to hear those kinds of stories. So hopefully you all took something away from uh, today's conversation. Each week, remember, we have got a new guest joining us all different shapes and sizes and from different parts of the world and life generally. So with their own insights into overcoming obstacles or achieving success in life, please make sure you continue to subscribe, follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast, of course, and it's the same on all channels. If you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. Please connect with me on Sandro Forte on all channels again, but it's the real Sandro Forte on Instagram. And please leave those reviews on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future from our guests. Until this time next week, thank you so much for joining us.